Hey everyone, I just wanted to give you a heads up that in this episode, my wife and I are answering some rather delicate questions of an intimate marital nature. So if you have young ears around, you might not want to be blasting this in the minivan. From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. everyone and welcome. Welcome everybody to the Ask Christopher West podcast. We ask your questions and Christopher West answers with the help of Wendy West. And I am thrilled. That's right. Thank you. Offer the deep, rich, feminine genius wisdom of my <laughs> wife to the world. <laughs> well, thanks. We are podcasting now in spring and we have just that time of year when especially people are graduating from high school or college and getting ready for the next step in life. And I was thinking about you, and if you remember some graduations or first jobs or kind of venturing into the Hmm. world that you'd be interested in sharing with our listeners. Uh, My graduation from high school was an interesting experience. That was 1988. And it was interesting because I spent my senior year, this is weird, this is, I mean, I don't think too many people can can say this, but I lived my senior year of high school in the house I grew up in with a different family. That is so strange. It's so weird. So my parents moved away from Lancaster, Pennsylvania in ni- the summer of 1987. Mm-hmm. I was going into my senior year of high school. And I wanted to stay in Lancaster to finish my senior year. And after some travail, I won't get into that travail. That's another story. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, after some travail, my parents agreed. So I stayed back in Pennsylvania to finish my last year of high school. And the people who bought our house mm-hmm. <laughs> asked me if I wanted to live with them and have my same bedroom and everything. Wow. Uh, which was really weird. But I did it. They uh, they usually had an exchange student live with them to mm-hmm. tutor their kids, and it didn't work out that year. They were looking for somebody, and they heard I was looking for somewhere to live. Mm-hmm. So they offered that to me, and I remember I had my same room, same furniture, same posters on the wall. I never even moved out, but then I'd come downstairs, and everything would be different. Was different, and I'd look in the wrong drawer every day for the silverware because they put it somewhere else. And- <laughs> Oh, no. They were a great family. I, I really look back with fondness on that time, mm-hmm. although it was also very strange and difficult. And, right. uh, then graduating from high school in the summer of 88, yeah, I had some weird jobs, if we're talking about jobs. Yeah. I had a lot of delivery jobs. Uh-huh. I delivered pizza. Uh, I delivered newspapers. I delivered phone books. I delivered truck parts. I delivered paint. I love delivery jobs because they got me out. I, I didn't want to be cooped up in a... Mm-hmm. My, my first kind of official job was working at... Wendy's. I was waiting for that. <laughs> yes. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I worked at Wendy's flipping burgers, but I hated it. I hated being cooped up. I was one of those people who looked at the clock all the time. Oh. And um, I started getting this idea, what, could, what kind of job could I have where I'm not cooped up? And I, that's when I started all this slew of delivery jobs. So... Yeah. That was a vast array of 
things from my life. Mm-hmm. But there you go. Okay. So this is a question from a listener named Liam. What advice do you have for graduates from high school and college who are going into the world, in some cases leaving their Catholic college comfort, like the sort of safety, I guess. Oh, oh if they, yeah, so they went to a Catholic college yes. and they had Now a, they're going into yeah, a Yeah, they were kind of maybe reality. in a Catholic bubble and now they're getting dumped out in there. Yeah. First thing that comes to mind is be not afraid of the world, right? We are to be in the world, but not of the world. There's something uncatholic about the Catholic bubble. Hmm. I don't want to say there's not a place for, you know, living amongst like-minded people, and we need mm-hmm. that, right? Mm-hmm. We need to have safe places where we can, you know, kind of let our guard down and share our, our faith with one another, and that deep sense of community is wonderful and beautiful. But if it creates an inability to venture out or a fear or a crippled ability to to go engage with those who don't think like we do, those who don't see the world as we do. That's what is uncatholic. Okay. Because to to be Catholic is to go make disciples of all nations, is to go out, is to and making disciples of all nations doesn't just mean I got something to share with you and you better listen. It's entering into relationship with others and seeing also that they are children of God. They mm-hmm. have gifts. They have talents. They see the world in a certain way that can enrich us. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in proclaiming the gospel, we, be- we believe we have the pearl of great price to share with the world, and that's real. But when that becomes, I don't know, kind of justification for a sense of superiority over others, we have a problem. If that becomes fear of engaging with people who don't think like we do, that becomes a problem. Mm. So I would say if, if you're venturing out from your kind of comfy Catholic community in college and you're a little nervous, give all that to the Lord who made the ultimate bridge from heaven to earth, mm. right? The whole mystery of incarnation is one of of reaching out, of building bridges, the supreme pontiff, pontifex, it, it means bridge builder. Wow. Right? So the vicar of Christ is one who builds bridges. So be not afraid to build those bridges. Be not afraid to share your gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, be not afraid to receive the gifts of others and to be able to recognize that even those who may seem far away from the gospel... They're still made in the image of God, and they have gifts to share as well. Mm-hmm. That's some of my initial thoughts. What about you, Wendy? Yeah, Yeah, I think one of the things that just comes to my mind is that all the, the gifts that you have received up to this point in your life kind of get tested in this mm-hmm. new phase of life. And I think it sometimes the testing can cause us to feel unprepared, or inadequate somehow compared, suddenly you're encountering people who've had a different experience and different preparation. And so I think to remind yourself of the gifts you've received, whether it's the love of family or the encouragement of good teachers or good friends, that you carry those things with you as a strength and not to be afraid to discover you have areas of weakness, areas you still need to grow, but not to forget what you've been given, and to even reach out to those people for support as you move forward in your life, that you're testing and 
in the testing, strengthening mm-hmm. what the Lord is doing in your particular life, particular story. What do you remember from either graduating from high school and going into college and what that experience mm-hmm. was like, or graduating from college? I knew you at this point. Mm-hmm. I came to your graduation party and send-off mm-hmm. party, and you mm-hmm. were moving to New Jersey yeah. as, a, as a nurse. What, what do you remember from that time? Yeah, I definitely can remember... Um, it was kind of a wake-up call that I discovered that I um, wasn't. It wasn't as easy for me to make friends as I expected it to be. I think in the environment of college, you're with people that you're sharing kind of all aspects of life, and it was very easy just to be with those people and develop friendships. And out working was a very different reality. I worked as a nurse and. You know, we didn't even have the same day of the week off, you know, that if we wanted to do something together, you know, to look over the schedule and find a day when we were both off wasn't easy. You know, it just, we didn't naturally flow to spend time becoming friends with people I worked with and trying to connect through different church activities with new people was some of the, the challenges of that time. But I remember really going deeper in, in prayer. Mm. And I remember some of the struggles with my first job as a nurse kind of coming to a head. And really, I really needed to hear from the Lord about why I was even doing this work. Because, you know, the stress of trying to do everything right as a nurse was really unpleasant. It was really getting me down. And I really needed to cry out to the Lord, like, what am I doing here? Um and I did feel like the Lord spoke to me through Scripture and my prayer. He was revealing to me His heart for the people I was caring for. Mm. And, and I almost felt like the Lord said to me, you know, I don't care if you left that IV bag a little low and then the next nurse was frustrated with you that you hadn't gotten to that task. What I care about is the people you're taking care of. Mm. And it was so orienting and helpful for me to know he cared and was caring for them through me. So that was just an example of something probably where, you know, prayer and scripture and care of people had been in my life and I needed to tap into that. I needed to reclaim it as a gift that I had to bring to this next stage of my life. That so was that the was, fall of nineteen ninety four. Right. Yes. When, that, yeah. Yes. That I that graduated. you were that you graduated mm-hmm. and were off in your job because mm-hmm. I remember that's when I received a life changing phone call mm. from someone who was living in New Jersey as a nurse. Yes. And we started talking regularly on the phone and fell in love we and did. got married. <laughs> <laughs> All of that too. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. I'm filled with tenderness <laughs> thinking of you back then, Wendy. I. I Thank you. I just had a little glimpse, a memory of you headed off to New Jersey and that party that summer. And, uh-huh. and then when we had uh, that, it was our birthday. Wendy and I shared the same birthday. I think we probably shared that with yep. you guys before. Mm-hmm. But November 7, 1994 yeah. was my 25th and your 22nd yep. birthday. And we went out for, for dinner to Wendy's. <laughs> we did go to Wendy's. Oh, my goodness. Remember that? That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember. Yeah, yeah you're we right. Went it was to Wendy's, Wendy's for dinner, and I just remember getting a little window into some of your struggles at the time, being a new graduate and facing the world as a nurse. I was really impressed with the way you embraced it all. 
I can see I can see your eyes sitting across from me when we were we were eating, <laughs> and I, I realized I was like, "Who is this amazing woman who's gone off to New Jersey to live with her grandparents and start this whole new life?" It was really impressive. Thanks. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> little story from our past. I'm sure there will be more. Yeah, I hope I hope that was helpful for Liam yes. out there. I hope yes. that was some food for thought. Mm-hmm. So we have a question from a listener named Anne. She's asking about some aspects of marital intimacy. And she says, from a theology of the body perspective, what can help a couple keep an other-directed focus, a self-gift orientation to the heart when trying to work through or deepen the physical intimacy side of marital love? Okay, that's the initial question. Then she says especially when considering women who struggle to reach climax. They often need to really focus on their own experience and guide their spouse toward what makes them feel good. Mm, mm. This feels at odds with selflessness. Bless you, Anne. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Mm -hmm. This is not an uncommon issue in married life, and I do believe John Paul II and his teaching can shine some light into this place and bring hope and healing and maybe relieve us of some burdens that we can put on ourselves because we do, uh, clearly, your question is coming from a place of real sincerity in wanting to know how to be a gift to your husband. But there is also, in giving, there's also receiving an integral to love of all kinds is not just learning how to be a gift, but also learning how to receive the gift. Mm -hmm. So John Paul II says that the spousal meaning of the body is not only the call to make a gift of yourself to the other, but it's also the call to receive and affirm the gift that the other is giving. And when we live out what John Paul II calls the balance of the gift. Hmm. When we live that out, there becomes a real joy that we are to give and receive. And my point in saying all of this is, it is not contrary to love for a wife. This is the case in point, uh, the question at hand. For It's not unloving for a wife to want to learn how to experience the fullness of joy in the marital embrace learning how to receive the gift of your husband in such a way that it can bring you to the fullness of joy does not necessarily mean, therefore, I'm, I'm being selfish because I'm focusing on how to receive the gift in such a way that I can experience the fullness of joy that God intends for me in the marital embrace. Pope Francis had a great line in his uh, Amoris Laetitia where he said, it's very important for spouses to remember that selflessness in marital love, this is a paraphrase from memory here, but selflessness in marital love does not exclude, does not exclude learning how to receive full joy. And this is all in the context of speaking of, of the marital act. So, so dear Anne, bless you, bless you, bless you. There is no contradiction in working out. Now, let me just paint a picture here. If you are like all off on your own reading masturbation manuals in order to learn how to bring yourself to climax, that 
we're not talking about that. That would be something non-marital and contrary to marital love. But if in the context of marital union with your husband, you and your husband are working out together how to bring you to the fullness of joy in the marital embrace, this is very not only in keeping, but uh, very much a part of the whole experience of, of mm. marital love. And John Paul II also says in his book, Love and Responsibility, that it's an act of virtue for the husband to learn how to bring his wife to climax. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's something, it's a delicate matter, it's an intimate matter, but marital love really does call us to to work these things out Mm -hmm. and not just shelf them because they're frustrating or or embarrassing or painful. Uh, But if certain wounds are coming up uh, in the process of, of journeying, to the fullness of joy with your husband in the marital embrace, maybe memories, maybe there's been uh, sexual sins or wounds from the past that might be resurfacing. This is also an opportunity to allow the grace of marriage to bring maybe painful things from the past out into the light to bring a new level of of healing and hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... One of the things that struck me about that question, too, was maybe a, a mistaken thought that the understanding of ourselves as our body communicating we're meant to be gift may be taken to a level of my only thought should be about the other, my only thought should be about, as a wife, my husband, to a, a degree that's not what the Lord is actually communicating to us through our bodies. Mm -hmm. And maybe if you take a step back and look at the fact that both our bodies are designed to come to a climax, Mm -hmm. um, you can see the Lord is speaking to us in the design of our bodies. Amen. And I think there are a lot of challenges in this area for couples there's an expression, there's nothing that succeeds like success. You know, <laughs> when you've had progress in a good way, it, it can keep going, but but the opposite can be true yes, as well. Yes. When you've had disappointments or anxieties, that can feed itself. So uh, trying to reorient in the marital act and in your conversations surrounding it to kind of break from a an anxious or frustrated cycle into something that's moving towards success and peace and joy in, in that exchange can be, you know, a battle. And you need to work together and be patient with one another in that process. But I think to look at and not to reject our bodies. Yes, it's yes. hard as a woman, I can say this from experience, there is no one right answer. This will work. It's not always the case. Different hormonal situations, different Emotional situations mm-hmm. can cause very different responses from the same attempts by the husband to bring his wife joy. And so it takes a real deep self-acceptance, a deep acceptance on the part of spouses to you know, trust the Lord has designed us, he's speaking to us through our bodies, and allow him to take us deeper on that journey in... in um, yeah, I really just feel like that accepting our bodies and letting them speak to us is really important there. And I think one thing that 
this reveals about us as human beings in our marriages and in these intimate questions is that what's going on in our bodies, what's going on in our hearts, our minds, our souls in the marital act is, is a window into to deep places of our being that the Lord wants to come to light. Hmm. I remember, you know, in 24 years of, almost 24 years of our marriage, love, that um, different times where we, we've just had to pause because we sensed, and it was not always just you sensing, but oftentimes it would be you sensing something was off in our marriage bed. Something was, was needed to be, come out into the light. Mm-hmm. And I remember different times in our marriage where we would just push the pause button on our, on our sexual intercourse and just say, let's, let's try to share our hearts and experience wh- or, or get to what's going on here. Where's mm-hmm. there a block or where's there a frustration or a lack of communication? Mm-hmm. And those times have been very, very fruitful in our marriage. Not always easy. Mm-hmm. Because just as I was saying, this is a window into deep stuff. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's dysfunctional stuff. Sometimes it's painful stuff. Sometimes it's selfish stuff. Sometimes it's really hurtful stuff. But divine love really can come into all of these places of our minds, our hearts, our bodies, and bring healing. That's what we want to hold out here. There is always hope of healing. Some practical suggestions here. I might suggest a book written by Greg and Lisa Popchak called Holy Sex. It really, of all the books I've read out there in the Catholic market, this gets into some of the, shall we say, nitty-gritties of the marriage bed that a lot of Catholic authors are maybe a little reticent to to really get into. Mm -hmm. Um, But Greg and Lisa, with wise counsel and reverence and insight, can really help you to look at some of these issues and tensions and struggles that Mm -hmm. might be part of the marriage bed. Mm Mm-hmm. There actually is another question that kind of relates to this. I don't mm-hmm. know if we should stay on a little yeah. theme here. Yeah, sure. Um, this question was submitted by a listener named Janine. She says she has been married for 31 years. And she says, my husband um, is having issues now with ED, erectile dysfunction. And I just wonder sometimes if this isn't part of God's plan for us. We do not want to take drugs for the ED, how do we know if it is just time to stop trying to have relations? Bless you, Janine, and bless your husband, and thank you for making yourself vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I do not want to hold myself out in any way here as a medical expert on these issues. I am not. I am coming at this as a husband and father, first of all, and a, a theologian, one well-versed in what John Paul II holds out to us as the vision for the divine plan for our bodies and our sexuality in this regard. So I, I just want, I don't want to, I, I may not be qualified on all fronts to, to give a, mm-hmm. a, a real answer to this question, but I can give you some food for thought, Janine, and I hope it is helpful. You know, I'm turning 50 this year, and I've certainly noticed changes in my body from when we first got married and its response in the marriage bed. And That's a normal part of aging. Mm -hmm. And while there's nothing morally wrong with taking a pill to help the husband achieve an erection, there's nothing morally wrong with that. 
I can understand why a couple might want to say, well, we, we, we may not want to go that direction. There could be good reason not to get Viagra, right? But I just want to be clear, there's nothing morally wrong with Viagra. Why is that? Here's the principle. Medicine and technology is good when it helps the body to function as it was meant to function. Mm-hmm. Right? If someone's blind and medicine and technology can give that person sight, it's a good use of medicine and technology. But if you're to use medicine and technology to intentionally blind someone, that's working in the wrong direction. Right. You know, people can get this idea that because the church teaches the birth control pill is immoral, therefore Viagra is immoral. Well, hold on. Why is a woman taking the pill? If she's taking the pill to render her body unable to function as it's meant to function, in other words, if she's taking the pill with the intention of sterilizing herself, it's working in the wrong direction. Viagra is a different thing altogether because it's a man is taking a pill to help his body function the way God created it to function. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing, again, morally wrong with taking Viagra. But again, we age. Uh, we sh- you know, if a couple in their 70s, 80s, even 90s are still able to come together in the marital embrace and they enjoy doing so and it's a blessing to the two of them, praise God, that's awesome. But if a couple getting along in years, has found they're not able to come together, and they accept that prayerfully and believe that's just the kind of natural course of things. They're certainly not obligated to take Viagra or make sure that they're absolutely able to engage in in the sexual act. There is a time and a place, a season for everything. And just as it says in, in Ecclesiastes, you know, there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. So that might, could be, Janine, what's going on in your relationship. I'd encourage you just to keep putting that in the light with your husband and with the Lord. Uh, If you're in agreement there, then I I would see that would be a confirmation that the Lord might be leading you in that direction. If you're not in agreement there, though, I'd continue to to pray into it, see what the Lord is inviting you to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think all that is really true, and I think... The question being, how do we know if it is just time to stop trying? I think you're you're getting at that right there. It's it's there's not a rule to guide that. There's a tuning into the Lord and to one another's right. hearts, and so I think that that always is you know a beautiful answer for a married couple to say you know this is this is a, a sacrament that you've conferred on one another in its onset and continue to have. It's kind of similar to those discernment questions about achieving or avoiding pregnancy, mm-hmm, for example. Mm-hmm. No one on the outside That's right. can know the hearts of the couple the way that you're called to know one another and know the Lord's heart for your marriage. So I think all that is really, it is in a certain way saying, yes, yes, you're right to be praying about these things and considering these different options. and. I think just one thing that comes to my mind as I'm thinking of you is that it's good to think about the uniqueness of a marriage relationship, the uniqueness of being given completely to one another, and whether there are still expressions of marital affection that are, are meaningful and important to your relationship even if you both know they can't yes. lead to union because of physical realities, 
that it might be good to talk about, you know, and Very maybe important. that is a new thought for you, but you've, you've given your whole bodies to one another, not only so that you can engage in the marital act, there's, um, there's meaningful life-giving expressions Amen. of our love for one another that can continue. And it's and so important to communicate about what is meaningful yes. to the other person, because that would be unique to each person. Yes. But I just wanted to share that, that it should not mean a, a no longer seeing one another as spouses. Correct. Uh, even if this is a you know a physical change that impacts your relationship, yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. It shouldn't mean coldness mm-hmm. or distance. There is a meant to be a free flowing physical closeness between a husband and a wife, whether or not that's able to lead to intercourse. There is great merit and a great many graces and blessings flow to the married couple just through that physical closeness. Mm-hmm. And at different stages of life, different ages of life, that closeness has different manifestations. So I would urge you, uh, Janine, to to find ways to continue to bless and affirm your husband physically and for your husband to do the same for you. Uh, touch, we are, we are creatures that need to be touched. Mm-hmm. If an infant is not touched, mm-hmm. it can actually die even if it's getting all of its nourishment through IV or whatever, we, we are creatures made to be touched. Mm-hmm. So my prayer for you, Janine, and your husband would be that you would find the ways of loving, blessing, affirming, touching one another, holding one another, kissing one another, that become a true blessing and a real continuation of your intimacy as husband and wife, whether or not at this age or stage of your life, you, you may be continued to engage in the marital act. God has a plan. And mm-hmm. guess what? It all leads to the marriage of the Lamb. Mm. This is where we're all headed. If we put our hope of fulfillment in this life, we are to be pitied more than anyone. And the reason Jesus himself says there's no marriage in the resurrection is because the sign of marriage, as beautiful and wonderful as it is, it's, it's but a sign. It points to something far greater, and you are approaching that far greater reality. So in the history of the church, there are couples who find themselves later in their lives so ready for heaven that the sign kind of gives way even here, mm-hmm. and they they spend the rest of their years together just anticipating that eternal consummation that awaits us on the other side. That's There's nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, that's very... Meritorious. Hmm. <laughs> Good word. There. Little <laughs> vocab coming out. Yeah. Meritorious. Was that meritorious of me? It was. It was well, good. Very good. Very good. <laughs> well, I think that's all the time we have for on this episode. Thank you, everyone, for your questions. Liam, Anne, and Janine, appreciate you writing in to us. If any of you listeners out there have a question that you would like us to address, you can uh, submit that. We're, we are getting a lot of questions, but we, we look at them and Uh, Try to randomly pick the questions to be as fair to everyone so you have as good a chance as anybody. If you submit a question, go to AskChristopherWest.com to submit your questions. And please sign up for the free course on the theology of the body. It can also be found at AskChristopherWest.com forward slash free course. And if you would like to bring 
me and my team to your area to do an event. You can reach us at theologyofthebody.com and click on events to learn more. We would love to come to your area to present the Theology of the Body to your parish or community. God bless you guys. Till next time. God bless you. The Ask Christopher West podcast comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. God has a plan. And guess what? It all leads to... Wendy's! I was waiting for that! Yes! It's awesome!